Thank you, young people. You will take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to tell you that what they just sang is what this message is all about. We've been talking, for those that are here for the first time in a while, we've been talking for the last, this is the third week. You see the the banner over to my right, your left, that speaks of us being a Jesus church. We've been kind of working our way through this to become a Jesus church. I asked the members and those who have been attending, let me just ask you a question. I want to ask you several questions this morning. First question is this. Outside of being in the service where we're talking about being a Jesus church, have you really given any thought to us Becoming a Jesus church, a church that Jesus is proud of. I probably need to say this more than you need to hear it. When God called me to this place 13 months ago, 14 months ago, and I said, yes, my heartbeat is to build the kingdom of God through this church. Now we'll do a lot of things. We'll have some fun. We'll have some great times in ministry. But at the end of the day, the mission, the goal, what we're trying to do is meet with God and build his kingdom. Two weeks ago we started with what you see on the behind me is the joyful church, encouraging church. And today through magic of technology, we're going to zero in on the spirit-filled church. Now, understand, if you're of Baptist descent, if you're Baptist-born, Baptist-bred, one day when you die, you'll be Baptist-dead, like your pastor. You've not heard this a lot. But I want to just review. Go ahead there. I want to talk to you about what the Jesus church is. The Jesus church is, we said two weeks ago, joyful, joyful, joy-filled. I'm just going to say this to you. It's not you come in and look like you've been to a funeral. We go to enough of those. It's not that you come in and look like you're going to a wake. It's not you come in by duty. It's because of the joy of the Lord that is in us. The joy of Jesus, the joy from Jesus, the joy in Jesus. When we get in Jesus, joy overwhelms us because the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of our Lord is the spirit that he sends. The joy of the Lord is the salvation that he gives because he has taken us from death unto life. Do you know that kind of joy? I mean, does that joy kind of well up inside of you? You know what I've discovered? I'm not trying to be offensive. I told the first hour I'm not trying to be offensive. Please hear me. Guys, in my almost 50 years behind the sacred desk in one way or another, I have discovered something. I have discovered that there are people who attend regularly, who have been baptized, who are church members, who attend Sunday school, some who teach Sunday school, some who are behind the pulpit, some who are lead music and sing, some, some all... They're, they're regular, but here's the deal. When you talk to them, please listen. When you talk to them about this thing of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, 
they look at you like a calf looking at a new gate. The blood drains from their faith. They don't have a clue what you're talking about. They know how to do things that are right. But they don't know anything about this personal relationship with Jesus. These are the folks, please listen to me. These are the folks who have difficulty finding joy in their journey. And yet the truth is, is that the joy that comes from Jesus is the joy he invites you to enjoy, to experience today. If you've never had that personal relationship with Jesus, you may not have a clue what I'm talking about. But it's like having the best friend in the galaxy or your best friend being the, the best guy in the galaxy. And it brings joy. It exudes joy. I can sense the joy to this place right now, okay? Come on, hang with me. The second, the second thing that we talk about at Jesus Church is an encouraging church. It's where we encourage one another. I mean, we talked about it last week in five dimensions. It's, it's, our encouragement comes from our affection. If we have an affection for our best friend and his name's Jesus, the encouragement flows from us. And, and our aim is to lift him up. Our ambition is to not be selfish and our and our uh, our approach is that to make others think of others uh, more highly than ourselves and that drives our attitude please listen attitude attitude there's an old saying that attitude determines altitude that means whatever your attitude is if you see everything is half empty the world's going to appear pretty bleak but if you see it as Jesus sees it, as the New Testament teaches it, because you see, folks, encouragement is all through the Greek New Testament. We should be encouragers of one another. Now, before I let him put this last thing up here on this screen, I want to say this to you. Look over here with me just for a second. Five letters in the name of Jesus. We're halfway through. We're in the middle. This is the secret. This is the power. This is what changes attitudes. This is what changes hearts. This is what changes lives. This is what changes directions. This is what changes the reputation of a church. This is what changes the reputation of an individual. This is the one that has the power. Can I tell you this, ladies? Ladies, this is the secret ingredient if you're a cook. Many ladies, don't smile at me like that, Kathy. Many ladies have these these. Family recipes. And everybody tries to recreate that recipe. And they taste it and they go, what is that? What is that? What makes it so good? And the truth is, ladies would rather die than give away their secret ingredient. Do you all know what I'm talking about? You can nod your head. Rather than turn loose of that secret ingredient, they'll die. This is the secret ingredient. This is what is missing from the modern day church. Because this is the promise of Jesus. This is the promise that he gave to you and me when he ascended back to heaven. And it is, you can put it up there now, the spirit-filled church. The spirit-filled church. It's this spirit that bursts a church, as we'll talk in a second. It empowers a soul. It saves a soul. It changes a life. It makes different in a church. It's this that paints the picture of the church. So if you found Ephesians 5, I gave you plenty of time to find Ephesians 5. Now here's what I'm going to tell you. We're about to stand and read it. And when we do, 
Please do not close your Bible because in just four or five minutes we're going to go back and read Ephesians chapter 3 to connect the dots. Ephesians 5, if you found that, would you stand if you can and will to honor, to honor the reading of God's Word. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Version. I will allude to some of the other translations. First, Ephesians 5 verse 15. Paul writes, Pay careful attention then to how you live. Old King James says how you walk, walk circumspectly. Everybody knows what that means, so I'm not going to deal with it. Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time. King James says redeeming the time. Here's why, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. The days are evil. Can I get a witness? Would you say amen? Are the days evil? The days are evil. Verse 17, so don't be foolish, but understand what the will, what the Lord's will is. Here we go. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. Kind of clears up what King James says, don't be drunk with wine, which is where in his excess. And it says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll take these next few moments together and that you will do some work in our hearts. Lord, more than anything else, I pray that you would send your spirit among us with his sword to lance our hard heart, with his hammer to crush our heart of stone with his fire to melt the cold heart. We know that we're nothing without you. We know that we're nothing without being filled by your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, please fill us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I get excited every time I read this passage. I just love to read this passage. I'll sit there. It tells us to be careful how we walk. It tells us what not to do, and then it tells us what to do, be filled with the Spirit. And then it gives us the results. It's amazing. I mean, I get almost as excited in Ephesians 5 as I do in Acts chapter 2. For running commentary, so you can see Acts chapter 2 is where the church began. Let me just, let me just kind of give this to you. In Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended to heaven. And he sent his disciples back to Jerusalem to pray, and they did pray. And then the church was born. Wouldn't you like to have been there when that Holy Spirit... Would would that really have lit your fire? It does mine. But I want to say this. Acts 2, Ephesians 5, strikes me the same way as it did the first time I stepped into the Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. (laughs) 
Nobody had to say a word. Nobody had to sing a word. Nobody had to pray a word. Nobody had to speak a word. I was immediately, my heart was immediately captured by the joy of that church. That they, that they, were, that they were joyful. And they were so joyful about being in the presence of the Lord. This is some of the things that happened. Some pretty good sized auditorium. They had prayer rails along their, their platform. And while we were, while we were singing, people would come to the altar and kneel and pray. Some of them weeping. And then, and then while we were praying, people would come and pray. Even while they were giving announcements for crying out loud, Mark, they'd come and they would kneel and pray, pour their heart out before the Lord. And it wasn't something new. It wasn't something because they were having a refreshed conference. Everybody wasn't popping a crick in their neck to see what they were doing, what they were saying. It was the norm. It was the environment. The kids just prayed about, Come, this place, come and flood this place and fill the atmosphere. And the atmosphere was filled as people would respond to the Lord. And, and I looked around, the, looked around the room. And at this time, there, that church had already produced three movies, Flywheel, Fireproof, and Face of the Giants. And I looked around this room and I could see faces of, uh, that I recognized from being on the screen Two weeks later, Courageous would be released, and I, and I can go back in my mind. I can visualize some of those folks that were there. But you know what? They were not there because they were celebrities. They were not there with, their, with any celebrity-itis eating them up. They were there with their hands raised, with their hearts raised, eyes raised. Their big iMac, which is like our screen, Raised their heads and they would, and hands and, and they would sing praises to the Lord. They were there for one reason, to worship the one who had taken them from darkness to light, death to light. The one who had put joy in their soul. I'm ready to go back right now. I just want to know. The truth is, is that I visited there at least once a year for seven, eight, nine years. And in case you misunderstand what your pastor's saying, they are not a perfect church. They have warts. They have wrinkles. They have problems just like every church. But here's what I'm going to tell you. I discovered what it meant to be in a church that was spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. Please listen. A local church can never be a Jesus church if she is not spirit-filled. A local church cannot be a Jesus church if she's not spirit-filled, sensing the manifest presence of Almighty God. So let me kind of make this uncomfortable. My goal today is to make us a little uncomfortable, so I won't ask you this. The only way that, the, that, a, that a church can be spirit-filled is for her members to be spirit-filled. It's the only way. That makes sense. So I'm going to ask this question two times today. Are you spirit-filled right now? Are you Spirit filled, walking in the Spirit? Is the Spirit filling you up so much that it's overflowing? Well, Brother Jerry, I'm saved. Well, that's, that's good. That's good. But you, we need to understand there is a difference in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit 
and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Turn back, if you will, if you still have your Bibles open, to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. In my Bible, it's just one page back. We're going to read verses 14 through 19. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, Paul writes, I bow or kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he, the Father, may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power, for here it is, from your inner being through his spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There's the salvation, Christ dwelling in your heart through faith. I pray that you, then being rooted and firmly established in love, that's rooted and grounded, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, width, height, and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that, watch this, so you're indwelled by faith, so that you may be Filled with all the fullness of God. This is chapter 3. This is the letter that Paul is writing. If you look at chapter 4, we won't take time to read it. If you look at chapter 4, that's why, that's why Paul pushed these church members, these believers, to spiritual maturity. In chapter 4, he gave some to the apostles, prophets, so that we all may be able to come to the full statue of a man. He's talking about a spiritual man in Christ Jesus. He wants us to mature in our faith so that we can be filled with the Spirit of God. Please listen. Those my age and older, those my age and younger, listen. Your longevity as a Christian, as a Christ follower, your longevity does not necessarily equal Christian maturity. Your longevity, how long it's been since you walked an aisle, invited Christ in your heart, been baptized... However long that's been, that doesn't guarantee spiritual maturity, nor does it guarantee being filled with the Spirit of God. Chapter 3 talks about the indwelled Spirit. Chapter 4, he talks about the spiritual maturity, the journey of of becoming like Christ. And then chapter 5, he says, hey, don't be drunk with wine. Don't get drunk and let the wine control you. Be filled with the Spirit and let it control you. You see, folks, if we are going to be or become the Jesus church, a church that is known to be filled with his spirit, it will be when we understand and embrace the workings of the Holy Spirit. Hang on just a second there. Understand the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. We do not have enough time in one message to exhaustively teach on the Holy Spirit. But it's something most of us have not heard about. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of give you a 30,000-view flyover. You see up there, your first one is that we've got to understand it. We have to understand it first. And I want to, I want to give you five words, five ways that we can understand the Holy Spirit. 
Hang on because we're going to move through these quickly, but I want you to get them. Number one, we need to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in conception. In conception. Now, what are you talking about, Brother Jerry? Well, you know what conception is. It's when, it's when something gets started. It's when something begins. It's when something initiates. I'll give you three biblical examples. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning God created, in the beginning God created the heaven, excuse me, in the beginning God created the heaven and earth, and the earth without form and void, and the Holy Spirit of God hovered over the deep. You see, nothing started until the Holy Spirit of God's mentioned. And then when the Holy Spirit of God is mentioned, everything comes together. The Holy Spirit of God. By the way, let me just draw you a, a parallel. It was true in my life and it was true in yours. And sometime in the past, and if not, hopefully sometime today, you realize that your soul was that deep, was that darkness, was the deep darkness. And in my case, the Holy Spirit of God came and hovered over that deep darkness, and he brought light. He's there in, in conception. Move to the New Testament. You know what happened in the New Testament. angel came and told Mary, you don't have a baby. You can look it up in Luke 1. It's about, I don't know... Um, about 24, 25, the angel talking to Mary. And then Mary goes, how can I have a baby if I don't have a husband? And the angel's response was this. The Holy Spirit of God will come upon you. And the power of God will overshadow you. And that which comes from you will be the Son of the Most High God. You see, the Holy Spirit is there when it starts. Well, if you, we talk about creation. We talk about uh, the birth of Jesus. How about back to my favorite, Acts, the Acts. Acts 1, 2, 3. I mean, it, it just plays on each other. Acts 1, I've already told you, Jesus ascends to heaven. He sends them back to Jerusalem. And then Acts 2, it says, when they were all together in one accord in one place, the Holy Spirit of God fell on them like fire. And before the cha- Acts chapter 2 is over, 3,000 people are saved. The new church is born. They're meeting daily. They're, you read it, they're having joy. They're having fun. And people are being saved. That's that local church by the Spirit of God. That's the conception. But you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't stop right there. I can tell you that the, that the next way I want you to see this is in the comfort of the Spirit. Now, if you'll hang with me just for a second, I'm going to connect these dots as quickly as I can. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit of God falls, the church begun. Acts 3, now the people who are following Christ are different than they ever were because Peter and John going into the temple. They've been there many times, but this time they see the guy that's been carried there every day, and now they see the cripple, and now they heal him. And then if you don't mind, if you don't mind, everything breaks loose at that point, because he breaks a Baptist tradition, guys. He gets up and he dances in the church. Well, that gets everybody in trouble, because you can't have that much joy in a church. And so Peter and John get arrested. Chapter 4, they get arrested. And then they get released. They bear witness. They get released. And they go and they find their fellows and they pray and they pray together. And the God, literally, the Holy Spirit of God, shakes the room. I'd have loved to have been there. 
And then chapter 5. Uh, in chapter 4, Barnabas is so filled with the Spirit of God that he, that he sells a piece of property and he brings the entirety to the apostles and he lays it at their feet, telling them to do with it as they will. No strings attached. That's the end of chapter 4. Well, chapter 5, we find a husband and wife that wanted all that kind of glory that they got. And so those two conspired together and they, they sold a piece of land, Ananias and Sapphira, and they brought a part of it and gave it to the church and said it was all. You know what happened? Somebody tell me what happened. Died on the spot. Graveyard dead. Carried him out. I heard a preacher say one time, what would happen in the modern day church if every time we lied, someone lied to God, he killed them? Just a thought. It's chapter 5. Chapter 6, we still see problems. Because in chapter 6, those of different skin color and different nationales, they were not, the widows were not being taken care of in the daily ministry, and that was life or death for them. And so the deacons were formed, seven men. And you know what the top, do you know what the top requirement for deacon was? Filled with the Spirit of God. Go read it. The Spirit's still controlling got deacons one chapter in the chapter seven. Oh, Stephen's a big mouth. He's preaching and teaching. And next thing you know, he is in front of all the people wanting to kill him. And he preaches a glorious message. And the chapter ends with Stephen getting killed. Well, that puts fear into you have the fear of the death of Ananias and fire. Now, it's death, and that's inside the church by God. And, and this is outside the church. Stephen's stoned. He's dead. Chapter 7. Then chapter 8 comes. There was a young man there watching Stephen die. His name was Saul of Tarsus. In chapter, in chapter 8, Saul of Tarsus now gets papers and he's going after the church and he's killing everybody. Church is in turmoil and it's in stress. Well, God just does nothing in chapter 9 but saves old Saul of Tarsus, turns him into Paul. But the problem was the church wouldn't receive him. And so now... Chapter 9, Barnabas steps up again, and he says, come on, he's okay. And so they receive Paul. And in the midst of all that turmoil, things settle down in the church in Acts 9. And the scripture says this. It says, so the church, this is 931, the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Here it is, living in the fear of the Lord and the encouragement, some translations say, in the comfort by the, or of the Holy Spirit. And it multiplied in numbers. You see, the Holy Spirit was there comforting them in their stress, comforting them in their problem. He was there with them. The Holy Spirit will comfort us. That's why we need him. We need him to start things. We need him to comfort us when we run into struggles. Then you go to the upper room. Because the next one is that the work of the Holy Spirit comes to us in counseling. That means he's helping us. Jesus in John 14, John 14, we'll put it on the screen, says this. He says, I will ask the Father and he will send you another counselor to be with you forever. You see that in the Greek word, that, that word counselor is 
one of a different kind or one of the same kind, two Greek words, and Jesus used one of the same kind. So when he sent the Holy Spirit, he said one just like him to counsel us, to help us. I don't know about you, but I can sure use some counseling from time to time. How about you? Use some counseling to keep it right, to keep it between the ditches. But then that's John 14. Jesus pushes the envelope a little bit in John 16. And he, and he teaches us that the work of the Holy Spirit comes to us in convicting, in conviction. Let's just put the scripture up here because it deals with both counseling and uh, convicting. Jesus said, this is still in the upper room. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. They still didn't understand that. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. He will convict. You know what the word convict if we have people in our church that work in a, in a court environment, courtroom environment. You know what a conviction is. It means you're guilty. Are you listening? You're guilty. You're guilty. Not somebody else. You're guilty. He convict, You said, but it says convict the world. Yes, it does. We talked about John 3.17 earlier, but John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That means for God so loved Caleb. For God so loved Ryan. For God so loved Steve. For God so loved Todd. That he gave his one and only son. And you see, here's the truth is that is that he sent his spirit to deal with us to the point of our sin. Because one day we're going to cross over from this life to another life. And when we cross over, if the sin is still present and resident in our lives and it's been unconfessed and undealt with, we've got to deal with it in eternity. And here's what happens when the preacher preaches a message like this or any other message, and you begin to feel that that pressure in your heart. You begin to feel that load in your life. You begin to know, well, he must be reading my mail. He's talking to me. That's the Holy Spirit convicting. He convicts people who are lost of their unbelief, and it convicts people who are saved of the sin that's hidden in their lives. That I think nobody knows about what the Holy Spirit does. There's so much more to say. But I'll conclude this with this. We've got to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in conversion. In conversion. We already read the Ephesians 3 passage. When you believe in the Lord, the indwelling Holy Spirit, when you put your faith and trust in Him and you invite Him into your life, you repent of your sin and you give Him control of your life, He comes in and He indwells you. You can kick him to the curb and you can ignore him, but he's still there. Because when you get saved, John 6 says, it's the Spirit. It's the Spirit that brings life, not the flesh. Flesh is no help at all. You see, folks, it's imperative that we understand the work of the Spirit 
It's not just a decision you make on your own. It is a work of the Spirit. And that Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, we're supposed to be indwelt with like we are when we're saved. And then according to Paul, then we're infilled with. Again, I've not been exhaustive. I've kind of given you the flower review, but there's a second thing that we have to do. We have to understand the work of the Spirit. And the second thing we must do is embrace the work of the Spirit. Embrace the work of the Spirit. The easy way that I know to help us understand this truth is just to give you some common, ordinary, everyday words. I'll give, them four, give you four. The first word is the word accept. Accept. We must accept this teaching of Scripture as fact. Too many, I can't speak for the Pentecostals, the Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, the Methodists, the Church of God. I can't speak for anybody else, but too many Baptists, too many Baptists don't really accept this. You see, to be, here's what we need to accept. Are you ready? I'm going to give this to you simply. To be spirit-filled or filled with the Spirit is not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's not a wish. It's not a fantasy. It's not a hope. Being filled with the Spirit is presented to us as an imperative, as a command. And it's imperative that we receive this com- uh, imperative and accept it. I mean, when you read in back in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, pay careful attention. I mean, he gives us all these things of what not to do and what to do in their imperatives. But for all those long-time Baptist folks that have loved the first part of 518, and don't be drunk with wine where it is excess. Don't be drunk with wine because it leads to reckless living. Dr. Charles Stanley said this. He said, many people have been kicked out of the church for the first during the first part of that verse. Don't be filled with drunk, be not drunk with wine. He said, but I've never seen anybody kicked out of a Baptist church for ignoring the last part of verse 18. But be filled with the Spirit. You see, folks, we have to accept this. It has to be a mindset. It's not optional for the Jesus church. It's not optional for the Jesus people. It's not optional for God's people. The second word that I'm going to give you is the word apply. Oops. Apply. This is the point where 21st century preachers get in trouble. Many, if not most, 21st century congregations, they want to be able to go in the community and say, our preacher preaches the word just like it is. He preaches the Bible truth. He preaches it. He preaches it. And that's okay. But the way the preacher gets in trouble is when he asks us to apply it to our lives. In this room, there are enough people who know enough Scripture to change this culture 
from the inside out. One preacher went to a church, brand new preacher, and he preached a great sermon that first Sunday morning. He went back that night and he preached it again. He came back the next Sunday morning and he preached the same message again. He preached the, that Sunday night, he preached the same message again. Well, now the deacons start talking. You got me, Mark? The deacons start talking. This guy only got one sermon. Came back the next week and he preached the same in the morning. The chairman said, I got to do something about this. He said, hey, hey preacher, I, I'm not trying to be critical. He said, but you've preached the same message for five times. When are you going to move on to something else? He said, when y'all start living what I'm preaching, I will move to something else. You see, the truth is, the truth is, this is, this is a, a time to apply things to our life. So I'm going to come back to the question that I asked you 15 minutes ago. Are you filled, are you personally filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Does he control your thoughts? Does he control your actions? Does he control your life? And somebody will go, wait a minute, Brother Jerry. Well, tell me, how, 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 how can I know? I don't have all the answers to that. But I'll give you a couple of suggestions. And it's not about you telling me or anybody else anything. What's going on in your mind right now as Brother Jerry is preaching this message? What's about your thoughts? Are you kind of thinking, I'll be glad when he shuts up and sits down because I've heard all this Holy Spirit stuff that I want to... If that's you, man, I'm just telling you, I'm preaching right at you. You may need to be saved if that's your spirit. Or... Or... If he'll be quiet, we'll go to lunch and we can forget all this. I fear that's why nobody really thinks about us becoming a Jesus church or, or, how, to, or how to build God's kingdom. If that's what's going on in your heart or anything like that, it's a dead giveaway. Then what should I do, Brother Jerry? Well, here's the truth. You have to do the same thing I do. And that is you have to come clean with God. I didn't say you had to come clean with the preacher. It isn't about running down here and telling me all your sins. It's about bowing your heart and head and telling God your sins. I heard Tony Evans say many times in the past couple of weeks that the number one sin dealt with in the Bible was idolatry. That is something being put in a life that takes the place of God. Come clean. Neither you nor I nor this church will be filled with the Spirit of God if we have unconfessed sin in our lives. It's just like you really don't like to drink out of a dirty glass. He's not going to go in and work with a dirty vessel. Every time the preacher talks about sin, people think he's talking about sex or drugs, something like that. The sin that may be eating you up may not be a sin of immorality. It may be a sin of arrogance. It may be a sin of conceit. It may be a sin of a hard heart. It may be a sin of idolatry. 
But it requires us to come clean and invite him to control. That's what it is, control our lives. Third word is the word effect. I've been running all around this, but if you come to the place where you're going to come clean, it will affect your life in ways that you cannot imagine. Make you feel cleaner, make you feel purer. You can look at the disciples in the Old in the New Testament, and you can see them. You can see them, their lives changing. You can see the people at Pentecost, their lives changing. You can see the woman at the well, her life changing. You can look all through the book of Acts and see people changing. But you know, I'm, I'm right here in, um, in Ephesians chapter 5. Let me just show you this. We talk about joy and, and uh, uh, encouragement and spirit-filled. Verse, verse 20, excuse me, verse 19. After verse 18 tells us to be filled with the Spirit. Here comes the joy, speaking to one another. And how? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making music with your heart. You can't sing and make music with your heart if it's not in your heart. You can do it vocally. Our, our adult and our youth praise team can, can sing vocally, but it doesn't really come from the heart. If, if he's not in the heart, if the heart's not filled, you as a congregation, you can sing, but it's not from the heart. There's no joy. There's no peace. There is nothing to give anybody unless Jesus is there. Verse 19 says, says joy. Verse 20. As encouragement, and you give thanks always to everybody instead of being having the mully grubs. You give thanks for always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. In verse twenty-one, please listen. You and I will not ever submit to one another if we're not filled with the Spirit of God. We're hard-headed. We're stubborn. Paul called everybody a stiff-necked people. And then when we do, how do you know when that happens? Here's what I'm going to tell you. All of a sudden, the sweetest fruit begins to grow. Because that's what the, that's what the Bible tells us, is that, is that the fruit of the Spirit, whew, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness. And one thing about it, when we start producing fruit, we don't get to eat the fruit. There's not a man or woman here who has a tree in your yard, and your tree produces fruit, and that tree eats the fruit. You walk up and get the fruit. You enjoy the fruit. You see, when the fruit really begins to grow around here, people will come in this place and they'll go, i got to come back. That tasted good. You see, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's how it affects us. This last word, I'm, I, I know the time, this is the last word. It's a personal word. Somebody asked me years ago how to know when you're filled with the Spirit of God. And I went, well, uh. And as I began to study and pray, this word, it's the word awareness. The kids just saying, make us more aware. Awareness. When you read what I read, Paul's writings, I sense that he never lost the awareness that God's Spirit was with him and in him and leading him and guiding him and teaching him in all things, making decisions. How many times did he want to go somewhere and the Holy Spirit said, go someplace else? We're studying Jude on Wednesday night. Remember Jude? Remember Wednesday nights at 6.30? We're studying Jude on Wednesday night at 6.30. And Jude's going to tell us this week, man, what I really wanted to write, 
about was our salvation, our common salvation. But what I've got to write about, because the Lord's directed me, is contending for the faith. You see, folks, we sing, even before the song that our kids did so masterfully, Dottie Rambo wrote years ago, Holy Spirit, you're welcomed here. Thou art welcomed in this place. Had a hymn, Holy Spirit, breathe on me till my heart is clean. You see, the truth is when the Holy Spirit comes in and fills us individually, the atmosphere changes. And more than being a lyric to a song... It's a cry of a heart. One last thought. You can look in your Bibles at verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. It's not in the past tense. It reads in English in the present tense. But the truth is, in the Greek, it's present perfect tense. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. Somebody asked me one time, do you believe in the second blessing? And I said, oh yeah, I believe in the second blessing, the third blessing, the fourth blessing, the fifth blessing. And I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit didn't cast me under the bus when I chose to kick him under the bus, kick him out of my life. I'm so thankful that he will come back and fill me again. And when he fills us, the result is a church family That is growing in all ways because individuals are growing to be like Christ. And here's what I'll tell you. It happens one heart at a time. And I dare say that this message has resonated with some of you. You've been, it's like me. You've been wanting thirsty water. Not because Brother Jerry get it. It's the, Brother Jerry said it. It's because the Holy Spirit of God has been hovering over you. And you're wondering how to be spirit-filled. Today, come clean with him. Let's pray together.